The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification, and they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. All right, it's another film study. But before we get started, I want to share a little bit of advice with you guys. You guys know I'm going through the process now of selling my home in Maryland. So I want to tell you about my guys, Property Inspection Pros. Purchasing a home can be stressful and rife and with uncertainty. 
Property Inspection Pros aims to remove all doubt and smooth the acquisition process with thorough professional service. Their certified professional inspectors provide thorough assessments of every area of the home, and then they issue a detailed, comprehensive digital report within 24 hours of the inspection. They offer superior convenience and customer service with inspections scheduled on Sundays and during evening hours, in addition to standard daytime appointments. With over 200 five-star reviews, it's no wonder they're Baltimore's best-rated home inspection service. Call them today at 410-709-8144 or go to their website, mdinspectionpros.com. Again, that's mdinspectionpros.com. It's another film study. We're going to look back at week, well, I guess, yeah, look back at week 10. Great win after even bigger wins for the Ravens. Uh, Ken McCusick, how are you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? You know, that life's good is driving me a little crazy this weekend because we were getting <laughs> some comments. People want life's good uh, film study coffee mugs and things with oh, life's cool. good on it. Yeah. You know what the problem is? Try typing life's good. If you, do you have a problem spelling that or pronouncing yeah, it? Yeah, yeah uh, spelling. Because you do L-I-F-E, then you got to do space, apostrophe S, because you're shortening is, because if I do just L-I-F-E, apostrophe S, good, then it's it's commenting on good. It just looks weird. Every way I put it, it looks weird. So life if someone, is good is a problem? Are you, but you don't say life is good. You say life's good. I think I usually say life is good. Oh, that's you, all right. I think you just said life's good, but uh, so because okay. I was because I went and checked the tape to be like maybe Ken's saying life is good, but you say life's good a bunch every every time we start the show, and that was hard to, for me to type out to put on something. So uh, I haven't figured this that is out a yet. Dilemma. Right now, remember when you say we don't have advertisers, but we do have listeners? Oh. I think I'm saying that back to you right now. But we do have advertisers too now, and I correct <laughs> that every time you say we don't. But we also have a guest today who will talk more about Ravens and not about life's good. So Daniel's joining us from the Baltimore Sun. He covers the Ravens and kind of breaking sports news over there. Daniel, how you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. All right, great. Uh, Ken, you were out in Cincinnati this weekend. It looked yeah. like there were a lot of people who traveled to this game. How was the atmosphere was of a blowout in your favor? Oh, no, I always love that on the road. And, and this, this had a lot of... Similarities to that Miami game, I, we weren't at that one, but the uh, I'd say there were three contingents of fans there. You had the the uh, Ravens fans, which were in good supply, the Bengals fans, which it's a home game, so they're in good supply, and the Lamar fans. There was a lot of, of Louisville red there and Louisville signalers who are double L'ing to Lamar with their hands. And uh, it, we, we actually drove back to the airport in Louisville to, to get our flight back, and uh, it was a very, very uh, heavily traveled road on Sunday night. So anyway, uh, very heavy Lamar crowd as, as one third of that contingent. Well, and he, as each game goes on, there's more and more Lamar fans out there across the country. He's becoming what? The, the face of this NFL, it seems like. Yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a remarkable story all in and of itself. Uh, you know, we'll talk about the offense tomorrow night uh, when, we, uh, when we do that show. But uh, tonight we're going to talk about the defense with Daniel. All right, so lots of things to be unhappy about this game, Daniel. But I thought from a little perspective, anyway, there are a lot of things to be unhappy about. Because I can point to the rush defense, and we will. 
that didn't go that well without Michael Pierce. But from a big perspective, was there anything to really not like about this game? Uh, well, like you said, the run defense with Michael Pierce out, it did uh, struggle in this in the first half. In the second half, they did you know do a better job of um, you know getting a good push. I think they held the Bengals to 55 yards on 22 carries, which is you know that's a pretty low average, so that's that's good. Um, still, you see in a lot in a lot of instances the pass rush you know it's kind of spotty it sometimes it's there sometimes it's not even though you know pat ricard got a got a really nice um strip sack that led to the scoop and score but still a lot of times you saw that uh pass rushers lost containment and they allowed pat uh sorry ryan finley to you know get comfortable at times but overall you know you can't really can't really complain too much when it's 49 to 13 no certainly it's all little things and when defensively you outscore your opponent to start with 14 to 13 in the whole game that alone is enough. So we want to talk about a few things today. We got we got certainly packages to talk about. The Michael Pierce situation is scary as hell, as far as I'm concerned. Not for this game, but for the coming games here against Houston, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Buffalo, Cleveland. We'll all have fairly formidable running attacks. Yeah. Playing without Pierce would seem to be dangerous. Have you heard anything new, by the way, today about uh, his situation? Uh, you know, Coach John Harbaugh just said that it's day to day. He said that he underwent an MRI, and it, you know, it's not long term. Uh, that that's really vague. You know, he said the same thing about uh, Patrick Owasso and Marquise Brown, and they were out for you know three weeks, two games. So, you know, it's kind of just wait and see, and we'll see what happens uh, when they have practice on Wednesday. Well, I'm not I'm not absolutely desperate for him to be back against the Texans, although it is a big game. But if Michael Pierce was lost for the year, that would be truly very bad for this team. I don't know how they yeah. how they recover yeah. from that. So I, I, that's actually relatively very good news as far as I'm concerned. I'd heard the X-rays negative thing, but, uh, but I, yeah, I did not uh, did not hear anything about day to day yet. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's start. But we usually go through on the show and talk about packages at this point, and I just want to go through those real quickly and and. Yeah. Uh, and talk through some of the notes. But the Ravens used a bunch of different defensive packages in this game. The base package, which they didn't use at all against New England, came up three times in this game. Uh, the Bengals lost two yards on those snaps in total. All of them were defensive wins, so not too much to talk about there. They played two different types of nickel for 41 total snaps. They played the standard nickel, which is the 4-2-5 nickel. That means you've got two outside linebackers, two defensive interior linemen, and two inside linebackers. They played that 29 times. 165 yards, 5.7 yards per play. Included among those was the pick six by Peters. So uh, a good, uh, solid selection of nickel snaps. The thing that finally got the run offense stopped for the Bengals was a double-sided coin here, the 3-3-5 nickel. So it's in Madden. You've probably seen it there, right? I guess. I have. I'm a big Madden guy. I have. (laughs) I was just guessing. You know, I've still never played. I've still never played a game of Madden at my age. That's probably kind of embarrassing. But uh, uh, the three-three-five nickel means you play three down linemen. You play the nickel. You play two outside linebackers. And where you sacrifice is you only have one inside linebacker. So one standing inside linebacker uh, behind the line makes you a little bit vulnerable to penetrations into level two if you if they get blocking at the line of scrimmage. Now the Ravens part of the addition was addition by addition to get a additional down lineman there. The other part was addition by subtraction to get Patrick Owasso off the field for most of the second half. And in the first half, I thought he had a very bad half in terms of of playing small at inside a linebacker. It's the run in particular. Yeah, I mean, he... Yeah, I mean, at this point in the season, you know, there's been a lot of talk about 
Um, you know, him not being a true Mike linebacker, he's better on that weak side, um, you know, where he can blitz and he's playing in space more instead of, you know, trying to fit those, trying to fit those run, those run gaps. So, um, yeah, you saw uh, Josh Bynes had a way bigger, significant, way more significant role, um, you know, with the Bengals trying to really enforce the run and take pressure off. Uh, Ryan Finley, they, a lot of times they would even bring in an extra offensive lineman. So, you know, they, mm-hmm. it was just kind of a matchup issue when uh, when it came down to Sunday. Yeah, Bengals definitely like to throw their weight around in the run game. Joe Mixon himself is a, is a big, heavy back. And, and when they made contact, you could really see Owasso getting driven back for several yards and that being a problem. The Ravens don't use don't use Owasso, didn't use him in this game anyway at the Mike spot. They only they never had him on the field as the lone linebacker. So they, Fort was on the field, some as a lone linebacker. They had Bynes, some as a lone linebacker. When they hit two, it was Bynes and Owasso, uh, typically, who were there together. And in that second half, I believe it's four snaps, or it might have been five. I've got to take a look at my spreadsheet here for a second mm-hmm. that he played. So it was not much after playing 16 in the first half, five in the second half. And that's when they gave up, of course, most of their yards uh, on the ground was in that first half. Yeah. Uh, all right. So then we go on. Uh, they played some dime in this game. Now, one of the interesting things about the dime that's happening is the Ravens have effectively taken Levine's dime snap away with the return of Jimmy Smith. That Carr has moved to be playing safety, almost always plays deep, although sometimes he's up rushing the passer or whatever. He does some of that. But most of the time he's deep. And yeah. Clark goes into Levine's role in the, as as the dime back. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, this is a a new defensive package that you know, it's just kind of a credit to Brandon Carr. He's, I, I was just thinking about it this morning. He's arguably the most indispensable player on the team, definitely on the defense, with this ability to play outside, inside, and now at safety. And um, you know, it's kind of the best of both worlds with um Levine not having as many defensive snaps because the Ravens have lost a lot of key special teams contributors. So, you know, it's really the best of both worlds to keep them fresh and on special teams. And then you have the luxury of, uh, you know, three cornerbacks that you can throw out there and have confidence that they can get the job done. Yeah, that's a good point. And uh, I guess a couple of things are happening with that. First of all, they, they used Anthony Avery a little bit in this game and they're obviously okay with him playing. some. he did play late in the game when it was, when it was put away. Uh, they've played him a little bit before Jimmy Smith came back. They even played him a little bit after Jimmy came back. Uh, but the other thing is, Iman Marshall is supposed to be coming back very soon here. Yeah, uh, John Harbaugh today said that um, he first said it was a possibility. Then he said that they're looking to bring him up. So it's really just a matter of you know the who's gonna whose spot he's gonna take. And um, you know, I, I definitely think that he'll his initial role coming in will be on special teams just because they have that depth at cornerback. But I mean, who knows? He could find himself into uh, you know playing some snaps on defense. Okay, so what cornerback slash special teams player who's currently on the team and was inactive this last week might he replace? Yeah, uh, Cyrus Jones, cornerback, punt returner. Uh, he was um, inactive, I believe, for the first time on Sunday, uh, this season on Sunday. Um, he was a healthy scratch, you know, after muffing that punt against um, the Patriots. You know, it was. It was kind of expected after they signed Anthony Thomas. Um, Harbaugh and team coach Horton said that they still have confidence in him. But, you know, in the same sentence, you know, they signed Anthony Thomas and made him the primary return man. So we'll see. They also have a lot of defensive linemen. Um, Dale and Mack, he's only been active for one game, I believe, and he's dealing with a, a knee hip issue, two games, and he's dealing with the knee hip issue now. So, um, you know, it just kind of depends on where the number's at. Um, they are kind of... They do have a lot of depth 
at cornerback, but I think that not it's not as much as people think. You know, with Carr going to safety, now you have three solid cornerbacks that you're co- confident in putting uh, out there. You know, I feel like the team would rather not they'd rather not have Aver be on the field for defense as much. So uh, we'll see where where that shakes out. I, I think it'll end up that Carr would go back to corner if needed because they've got Bennett Jackson and he's acquitted himself well on the snaps he's played now at safety. So I think yeah. they, they would trust him to play on the back end. Again, that's another special teams performer, but you can't downgrade your defense to protect your special teams. You just can't do that. Yeah, so in the end, you, you, you have to you have to do that. And you, you can tell that because special teams players don't make a lot of money. So every every time I suggest cutting a special teams player that, you know, the big one this year was uh, was obviously letting Bethel go so that they would recoup the fourth round draft pick or the fifth round draft pick. Either way, I thought it was an obvious decision to make. Yeah. You know, pe- people question, you know, don't you even care about special teams? Well, of course I care about special teams. But, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they don't contribute to the down and distance exchange in football, so they're not as important or central to the way the game is played. So, anyway, that's that's my feeling about it, and uh, and it's a it just is the way it is. Yeah, this falls just the rank it falls in. Yeah, yeah. All right. So anyway, it's it's interesting, and this is a nice thing. The Ravens have occasionally had this happen, including in their. Super Bowl winning year and in 2011 as well when they got healthy at the right time in the defensive backfield to make a great push. In fact, last year it was really true in 2018 that they they made they got healthy at the right time the second half of the year. And having Jimmy Smith come back at mid-year and having Iman there as a guy they can bring in the second half after the IR designation, uh, you know, after he'd been through his time on IR and was available then to be DTR'd, uh, is is really nice and very big positive for a team to be in that position. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. I mean, um, the thing is they they have had some season ending injuries that are definite, you know, guys aren't coming back, but, um, you know, of all players to, to be able to come back, you know, it's really fortunate that it's uh Marshall and it looks like maybe potentially even Charlie because his elbow injury wasn't initially mm-hmm. season ending, but the way, um, you know, all the injuries have shaken out, he might be able to come with, which would also help. There really isn't anyone else, is there? Besides Trollwick, I don't know who's injured on a non-season-ending basis who can return anytime before the playoffs at this point. Yeah, it's just those two guys, honestly. Yeah, everyone yeah. else, um, those, those are year-long injuries. Yeah, so Jimmy Smith, they, they the team might have even been better to let him go to IR. Well, it would have been going to IR after week one, which would he could have returned, I think, in week 10. So yeah. maybe it would have one week later. So maybe, yeah. maybe it would have been better. Who knows? All right. All right. Let's talk a little further here because we hadn't been quite, quite through all the packages. So in the dime, they, they, they played 26 snaps a dime. They allowed 116 yards, four and a half yards per play. The quarter, they called for two plays. Those were the plays along with one dime package near the goal line where Levine got in. So he only played three defensive snaps in this one. Those two quarter packages uh, didn't have good success with the quarter last week. But this year they got the sack. This week they got the sack fumble by Ricard in the first one. The second one was an incomplete debt pass. That denied a thirteen, a third and fourteen play, late in quarter four. So good success on those two drive ending plays with the quarter. Yeah, I was just yeah. All right, and then the race car package. They've been using. Talk about this a little bit. They hadn't, they hadn't really used this ever in team history before. Um, now they have uh, a package where outside linebackers are the only pass rushers, and they had that exclusively a few weeks ago. I mean, it was about three weeks ago against Seattle. Uh, they used it 15 times, including 10 consecutive snaps so they didn't have any defensive linemen on the field. 
Well, it's evolved now, and they need to have one defensive lineman on the field and and four outside linebackers because they're not activating five anymore with the injury to McPhee. Mm-hmm. And they'll play a dime package with that. And that was fairly effective in this game again. 16 plays, 81 yards, bunch of drive ending plays, also some conversions in there. Um, also, one snap that, that, would, that we're probably going to have to talk about at some point that roughly that passer penalty on Brandon Williams, which I thought was pretty <laughs> absurd. Yeah, it's, it was pretty ticky tack, but, you know, it, it's just Harbaugh said it a lot. It's just the way they call the game. And, you know, you got to have to adjust as a coach and as a player. Well, you know what, he, he's, he keeps saying that, and I know he's frustrated about this. He couldn't be more frustrated about this. I, I, you know, at the game, during the TV timeout, Brandon Williams was talking to the official the entire time about, you know, what did I do wrong? You know, just explain to me what I did wrong. And, and they wanted a whole lot of no part of that conversation, which I guess is the way they normally treat it. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, I, I, I can't see the reason other than he maybe somehow rolled his weight on the quarterback on Finley. Uh, but I, I really, I mean, the strike point was perfect. Didn't hit him with the, didn't hit him with the helmet. Didn't hit his helmet. I just, I couldn't mm-hmm. figure it out. Yeah. They're just, they're bang, bang calls. And, you know, the officials are having a really hard time this season. So I'm sure they didn't want to hear anything extra, but you know, it is what it is. All right. Fair enough. Uh, we talked a little bit about Michael Pierce already. Uh, Marcus Peters. How about that yeah. interception? Yeah, he he talk about instant impact. Yeah, he he's brought that uh, in his first couple games with this team. Um, just he's just bringing a playmaking uh, aspect that you know outside of Marlon Humphrey, you know this secondary and this defense really hasn't had. Has it hasn't had another player like that? Yes, uh, I don't know if I lost either on sound or not, or if that was the end of the sentence. <laughs> Sorry yeah. about that, but. but uh, uh, Peters, uh, I don't know that we've talked about this before, Daniel, but, but it's certainly something I talk about is, along with Ed Reed, the greatest interceptor in league history. A lot of people don't know that, you know, don't really find, know that on an adjusted basis. He's number one all time now at 8.64 interceptions per 16 games, and that's adjusted wow. to the average of 1945 to 2016. So all of these guys who played in earlier eras, they had higher interception totals. Uh, per game, but there were also a lot more interceptions per game in that era, and now there are, there are fewer. So anyway, Peters is the is the ultimate ball hawk. Uh, he may even ha- be able to hang on and and top Ed Reed for his career. It is possible. He's he's ahead now, but I kind of like a he used to he was about a 450 hitter when he joined the team, but now he's about a 475 <laughs> hitter in mid June of his yeah. career. So uh, we'll see yeah, how that bumped, finishes out. Yeah, he's bumping that average up for sure. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I thought, you know, the first interception against uh, against Wilson, he really baited the quarterback by dropping 10 yards off the ball and then coming mm-hmm. up and making the pick. This one was completely different. He figured out what the route was pre-snap, made his break on the ball. He really didn't bait the quarterback in this time. And he, he tried to figure it out, undercut the route, and he gambled. It was He was all in on the gamble, which I love. And I, lo- I will encourage people to go out to the article. I'm not going to take you through the math right now, but the article yeah. takes you through my math of how I think he only needed to have about a 20% chance to make that pick for it to be a worthwhile gamble. Wow. So Yeah. I mean, Earl Thomas said it after the game that he's like people – he's a great – uh, Marcus Peters is a great athlete, but people don't understand how much intellect goes into knowing the routes, the route combinations, and then playing it perfectly, you know, with your back pedal and then breaking on the ball. So he's he's a really intelligent player. And, you know, he said, you know, he's been he's been doing this since he was a kid in Oakland. So, yeah, he, he's definitely he's definitely one of the best. 
Yeah, it really shows. I mean, a guy, if you watch film, there's no doubt about exactly what he's trying to do on these plays when he, because you couldn't break on the ball as perfectly did he against Wilson. And you couldn't do it unless you knew you were selling out on Erickson. You knew you're going to get beat by the double move. And in fact, later on, he did get beat by that double, same double move, basically down that same sideline by Auden Tate. And yeah. the Ravens got a little lucky. The ball got overthrown. It wasn't a touchdown. But like I said, if you go to the article, I want, I want everybody to take a read on that. He really does not have to be right too often to make that the right call. That's true. Yeah. All right. All right. Um, let's talk about the pass rush a little bit. We haven't talked about that yet. A um, few points I'll just bring up to start with. He had ample time and space on just eight of 32 dropbacks. That's Finley. That's terrific. Uh, normally, we're seeing rates in the low 40s this year. Uh, really a good combination of both numbers and scheme, I thought. Yeah, I mean, I, even on that, um, the the big one that comes to mind is the Pat Ricard scoop and score. And, you know, uh, Pat Ricard did a great job to get that interior push. And um, Ty's by kind of came around on a loop. So, you know, when he was able to get the hit, you know, he just kind of fell right in his lap and he was able to pick it up. But, you know, um, like I said, it at times the pass rush was a little inconsistent. I know Judon on more than one occasion uh, kind of went up um, upright too much and he kind of opened up a lane for him to rush. But, you know, they, they did get after the young quarterback and make things difficult for him. Yeah, I thought the Ricard one is an interesting one because they had seven in the secondary on that play. That didn't mean that some of those weren't rushing because it was a 5-0 pass rush, as I recorded. So at least one from the secondary was was rushing. But they had uh, they had a, a fairly slow development of that play by Ricard. He was blocked by two different guys and took a while, actually, to get to the quarterback. So it was yeah. a coverage sack, I thought, but, uh, but still very impressive for him to dislodge the ball that way. You know what's interesting about that play is First career sack for Patrick Ricard. <laughs> yeah. And it's the first touchdown for Tyus Bowser. Who gets the football? We uh, both want that thing. But. We should have asked Tyus that. Uh, it would have been a great he question. At, he was at the podium. He probably got it because he scored the touchdown. So, you know, yeah. whoever puts it in the end zone gets to keep it. <laughs> Finders keepers. That's what Maureen was telling me <laughs> when, when we watched it just uh, yesterday. So it's a good deal. Yeah. Anyway, good to have a good problem to have, obviously, to, keep, to get you guys on the board. And Ricard will get many more sacks, so he'll be okay. Uh, he really, in this game, he had a second sack that was it was really a sack plus one. So his third and seven play, Finley was flushed from the pocket. He tried to run with it, and Ricard tackled him near the line of scrimmage. Turned it to be just beyond, so he didn't get a sack. But, he, yeah. but effectively, it's a sack that ended yeah. the drive. Yeah. So a few more things about the pass rush I want to talk about. I, I thought that Martindale really took his chances with numbers. That generally worked out as we look through this game. And I'm going to give you a few stats on that here. Uh, okay, so with four, they rushed 13 times and averaged 7.2 yards per play. They did that 13 times. With five, they rushed 12 times, only 1.7 yards per play. And then with six or seven, they rushed uh, seven times. And I don't have it right in front of you, but I think it's about five five and change per play uh, on that. So anyway, a, a, good, a good number there. The seven-man pass rush was what it was when Peters... Uh, made his pick, which was one of the things because of that quick release that Peters is probably gambling on that shorter route to the outside. That he didn't think there was time for a double move to take place with a seven-man pass rush. So he knows what the defensive call is, of course, and that that uh, might have played into it. Yeah, that just goes back to you know knowing the defense and being smart and playing within the defense. Pretty impressive that he can be that here that short a period of time and understand something like that. But maybe it's just it's common to every defense, and so he can kind of figure it out from that. 
All right. I want to talk a little bit about deceptive elements of blitzing because we talk about that every week. And, and he did do a fair amount of that. Martindale did. He had 13 individual blitzes called. So those are guys from off the line of scrimmage, six stunts and three two-man drops. All of those elements fairly consistent on a per-snap basis to what they did to Tom Brady. What he didn't do is he didn't feel the need to double and triple up on those items as he did often with Brady. They had 10 deceptive blitzes, which had two or more of those elements last week, and Brady only had 2.2 yards per play on those throws. Uh, but they, they did a lot individually to Finley, and I think some of that's a matter of testing out a divisional quarterback and see what he's got for the future. Yeah, I think that one thing about facing a new quarterback, as they said during the week, is you don't know exactly what he's going to bring. Um, obviously, they're running the same offense, but different quarterbacks have different tendencies. So um, I, I even thought that uh, Wink would kind of try to feel feel the game out a little bit. Um, we saw that, you know, I thought that it would take a couple more possessions for the defense to figure Finley out, but um, they they had instant success against them, and I'm sure uh, they, threw him, they threw him a lot of different looks just to, you know, keep him, keep him on his toes. Right. It was really the running game in the first half that kept their drives going, and then playing basically very heavy against the Ravens that I thought was was effective. The Ravens actually, from the very start, they were flushing Finley, and they were flushing Finley in what is usually the direction of death for a right-handed quarterback, and that's to his left. A, yeah. a right-handed quarterback moves left. He, he has to turn his entire body around to get reset. It's very difficult. Finley looked, if he had one positive quality I'd pick on, that's it, that he, that he really looked pretty good about resetting his feet while drifting left from that pocket. So uh, uh, that, at least, it was impressive about him. Yeah, even Judon gave him credit. You know, that they had a they had a the defense had great execution, and, and Judon even said, you know, he's a young guy, and, you know, he, he showed a lot in, uh, in his first start, um, you know, standing there despite it playing a blowout. And he actually told me he was really impressed with the way he performed. All right. Okay, so uh, he, he did not have – had two plays over 16 yards in the game, a 23-yard play and a 24-yard play. Both of them had very significant amounts of yak on them. So uh, it was a one on the right sideline where Owasso missed the tackle for a minus one plus 24, yeah. and another that was – I, I think Jimmy may have missed the tackle on one. Yeah, I'm Jimmy missed sure. the tackle on one. There's a six plus nine. So that's yeah. that's another good one. So anyway, all their long plays tended to be these high yak numbers involved. So, uh, yeah, it was a bunch of uh, basically short passes. He did not have an air yards completion over 13 yards during the game. The, the had a 13-yard air yard completion that I believe it converted third and 11. So uh, really not much uh, that Finley did deep. And I guess the Ravens' secondary is, is a little bit menacing in terms of the, the, the desire of opposing quarterbacks to throw deep. We didn't see much from Tom Brady either last week. Yeah, um, even uh, Russell Wilson. I mean, he, he had his moments um, connecting with Lockett when Humphrey was in coverage. But, you know, ever since that uh, that week four game um, against the the Browns, yes. you know, the, the secondary has been is really locked down. Um, Earl Thomas, um, he consistently every single week, every single week, he says, I'm getting more confident in this system. Uh, I'm feeling just it's getting more familiar to me. And, you know, he's patrolling the back end and he's not he's not letting guys uh, throw deep on the steep ass. Yeah, it's been very impressive. The heat maps last year for for uh, him were very impressive of where the throws were with and without him on the field. So obviously that an extended period in Seattle of not having Thomas on the field last year and where other teams were willing to throw very different with him back there. So uh, yeah. that's been a good one. All right. Well, how about we talk about some individual performances here? One guy really stood out to me is uh, is Brandon Williams. 
who yes. was tremendously overworked in this game, but had a fantastic game. Yeah, uh, Harbaugh today in his uh, weekly news conference, you know, we were we were talking about a lot of the the, the younger guys, Sealer, um, Chris Warmly, Jahard Ward got a couple snaps in there, uh, Pat Ricard. We were talking about uh, those guys, but you know, Harbaugh. Uh, made sure to point out the job that Williams did. He played, I believe, 78.7% of the defensive snaps. He had a season-high seven tackles. And, you know, it's tough, um, you know, because when Pierce is not in there, it's so easy for offensive linemen to just double uh, Brandon Williams, you know. So he really really worked hard uh, on Sunday. Yeah, I thought he did too. And those seven tackles, four, zero, zero, three, one, three, and one were the gains on those. Five of those were defensive wins. The last two were not. But uh, very impressive group. He had some pass rushing uh, presence in this game, a couple pressures. He had the quarterback hit that was, you know, ridiculously flagged, but but it was what it was. Good cleanup tackling on other people's pressure. Sealer was in the backfield a couple of times running around like a chicken with his head cut off and, and, and not taking down the back or the quarterback. But in those, each of those cases, he slowed somebody down so that another person could make the tackle, another player could make the tackle. Yeah, he was really active as well, I believe. He he almost got to Finley a couple times as well. Yeah, I, I, I liked how he played, even with the missed tackle or, or whatever you want to call it on the, the missed sack. And he has a bad habit of lunging too early at the quarterback and then when he misses he misses and he's on the ground and that that really you know keep your feet if you can for for a little longer but anyway i uh very happy with brandon's game yep all right how about humphrey what'd you think about his game uh i mean can't say more about the job that he did on sunday and you know just this entire season kind of in his third season uh kind of stamping himself as a as a lockdown corner you know i think uh boyd got the best of him early on a third down completion and after that you know i mean boyd got his catches you know over the course of the game but uh you know nothing major um you know didn't get away from humphrey's reach too often uh, on sunday yeah, I thought he, he did an outstanding job. And, and he's got the disadvantage because he's the, the pure chase corner and Boyd is more than anything a slot receiver than an outside receiver. Yeah, so that means that, lot. Yeah, yeah but, but, but when they even when he's in the slot, or whether he's motioning or not, when he's in the slot, that makes Humphrey's responsibilities and coverage much more complex. And he can't do it in his normal routine, whereas the LCB or the RCB, where he can use the sideline as the extra defender. He can only do that sometimes. If, if, the, if the route is over there. But if he's in the middle of the field, it's, it's a more complex set of responsibilities. There's pass rush responsibilities that go with it, obviously. So it's a lot to do. And, um, and I was very impressed with, with Humphrey in this game. He, he was in, the, in Boyd's mostly hip pocket uh, on some deeper throws where the ball was just overthrown. He had a couple PDs. He had another PD taken away by the rough and the passer call. Yeah. Uh, so it, it, uh, it was another real big game for him. Yeah, and he's kind of getting used to following the slot corners. You know, he's had Boyd twice, he had Lockett, he had Edelman. So, you know, he's getting used to it for sure. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. I'm, I'm, I'm that much more impressed by his season just for his ability to do that because the Ravens obviously don't have a pure slot corner without Tavon, and yeah. it'll be a big relief to have him back next year. Hopefully everything will be fine again. Yeah, definitely. All right. We talked a little bit about Ricard. Anything else you want to talk about with his game? Obviously, I, I couldn't be happier about what happened. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, um, like I said, you know, he did a great job you know, fighting through uh, two blockers to get that strip sack. I just think that kind of going forward, it'll be uh, really interesting to see what happens with Dale, uh, not Dale and Mack, but um, Michael Pierce's injury, um, you know, whether 
he's out for one week, two weeks, or not at all. Um, Pat Ricard is kind of a guy that they've been reluctant to play significant snaps on defense because of his role on offense. So, um, you know, he's always been a very quality uh, pass rusher, interior pass rusher. And I think that more than anything, that's what, uh, you know, this Ravens defense has been, has been missing. You know, Brandon Williams has stepped up in re- recent weeks. But, um, you know, by, by trade, he, he's, a, he's a run stuffer. So uh, Pat Ricard could be someone that we see having a bigger role on this defensive front soon. Right. I, I, they have not really used Patrick Card as a run defender, and I don't think that's the way they're headed. So I think it, it probably will be Mack who gets the big opportunity to replace Pierce because Pierce is the best run stuffer on the team, and, and yeah. Williams is more of a combination player. Uh, I, I, ho- I hope Mack is up to the to the responsibility. Some people are also suggesting that it might be D'Amato Pecco that they go out and get. Say it again? Some people are suggesting that Demato Pecco, the ex-Bengal, is somebody they might go after. He's been sitting out there for, as far as I know, the entire season in free agency. I don't even think he went to camp with anybody. Yeah, it'd be interesting. I actually, I haven't even heard about them uh, them working him out. But you know, they, they do have a lot of defensive linemen. You know, it's funny because they entered the season with not as many defensive linemen as they usually uh, they usually carry, and you know, they got questions about that. And over the course of the season, they've kind of picked up a couple guys. So. You know, Fumba Kamalu is a guy that you know hasn't uh, hasn't seen the field yet, so it'll be interesting. They they uh, brought Michael Onahu. I hope I'm not butchering mm-hmm. his name, but um, you know he was with the team in the preseason before he broke his wrist. So I mean, I mean they have guys that they could also you know um, promote to the active roster, and you know guys that haven't really seen the field yet. Right. I I honestly thought Kamalu would have been activated by now because I thought he fit more as the fifth outside linebacker in that race car package. So they'd have another big body in the middle, long arms, get it, get your hands up, get a chance to, to knock the ball down. That would also take away defensive snaps from Ricard, which is probably a good thing. And, uh, and, and give them that extra outside linebacker presence. Now they just, for the first time they played Ward on the defensive interior. Now, what I mean by that, I know he's lined up in pass rush situations on the inside. I don't mean that, but he lined up on rundowns on the interior about three or four times in this game. So they actually are, are really digging down pretty deep if they want to have that happen. I'm not saying he can't do that role. I'm just saying he's been so useful as a pass rusher, I, I'd hate for them to to overwork him as an interior defender on, on potential rundowns. Yeah, his his role was kind of uh, his even his position was kind of unclear when they first signed him. You know, some places had him listed as a defensive tackle, some places as a defensive. Can, yeah, you're good. You're, you're you're good. Please. Yeah. yeah, yeah so some people had him as tackle or end. Yeah, yeah, and um, you know, initially they kind of used him as a as a third down outside linebacker rusher, but you know, I. Harbaugh said that he's a really versatile player. He's a, he's a big body guy, so he has the you know he has the, the frame to play inside a little bit. Yeah, he he looks like a five tech, um, and and that I think is where he, he probably maybe the Colts had him there. The Colts have always kind of carried a little bit of a small defensive line relative to what the Ravens have wanted to carry, and uh, and he's a he's a six five guy, and you know he, they might have been happy playing him in there. He, he's He's played a lot of standing snaps already for the Ravens at outside linebacker and relatively fewer on the inside on pass rush downs. But in this last game, he played 48 snaps, and those are non-penalty, non-spike, non-kneel downs in this game. So that was right up there. I mean, Williams had 56 and Judon had 59, but of, of the front seven, he was third, tied with also with Ferguson at that level. So definitely got a very heavy workload in this game and I thought played very well. Yeah. 
right. Uh, we talked about Ricard. Ferguson we should probably talk a little bit about. Um, I, I thought he had some pressure in this game, but I didn't score it quite as favorably as PFF did. I know I took a look at theirs. Let me make sure I have the number here right. What do you think about Ferguson's job while I'm, look, while I'm looking that up? Yeah, he's he's still coming along. You know, uh, I think he had a, a really strong uh, two game stretch around the definitely the, the Seattle game was definitely his best game by far. Um, I think at times he kind of struggled to set the edge on, you know, against the Bengals tackles, which I think that that was kind of a, a widespread issue. But it's just a matter of him continuing to learn the game, um, not to get continuing to not get sucked in all the time. Um, you know, he, he's a young guy, so. You know, I don't expect him to be a, a master edge setter like Terrell Suggs was, you know, after a couple games. So it's really just a matter of him getting more experience. And, and he is, you know, after the injury to Pernell McPhee, he's essentially the um, the Rush second linebacker. outside linebacker. Yeah, uh, um, you know, uh, opposite side of um, Judon. So he's, he's going to get that experience and that playing time to grow. Yeah, I, I, I actually I thought I saw improvement in this game in terms of him as, a, as an edge setter more than as a pass rusher. Still having a little tr- bit of trouble finishing as a pass rusher and sometimes getting started, frankly. I have him for two pressures in this game, which is not bad. But th- some of his bull rush technique should help him set that edge and, and get himself squared up properly. So he at least makes it a little bit easier for the players around him. And then it comes a matter of maybe trusting your teammates more, where at Louisiana Tech he probably had to do more of it himself. Yeah, definitely. I think a big thing early in the season with the defensive struggles was, you know, just doing your individual job. Um, you know, there was a lot of overcompensating and you can still every now and then you can still you can see you can still see that just guys not staying in their gap, not staying in their position. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Uh, any other player you want to talk about? I got a couple more, but anyone you want to pick? Uh, no, let's see who you, uh, who you have on, uh, on the brand. All right, so next on, next on my list is Chuck Clark, which uh, I, I think his versatility and what he's added to this defense has just been enormous in terms of uh, we've seen many fewer schematic breakdowns than we did early in the year when the when just seemed like zones were breaking down every third play or something. And uh, we've, we've seen much better play with him at, at uh, strong safety slash dime, which now seems to be his role. Yeah, you you can't ask for a more seamless transition um, after you know Tony Jefferson's injury to Chuck Clark being a young guy who had only made a couple starts um, entering this season. Um, yeah, he, he's been great, like you said, from relaying all the calls. I I honestly can't remember a, a mass a massive bust um, mm-hmm. since he's taken over. And like you said, um, he is better closer to the line of scrimmage. You know, like you said kind of like a dime linebacker and he's excelled in that role he had the um uh the forced fumble um mm-hmm. in the third quarter on the Bengals' first possession so uh he, he's been he's been steady and like and that's that's very good that's exactly what this defense needs they need a steady they needed a steady safety after uh tony's injury right I, he's been in my opinion he's been remarkably good in coverage when he's when he's in a man role whether that's against a tight end or even a receiver, I think he's he's been very good so far this year. They've used him as a pass rusher. They've used him a whole bunch of different ways. And yeah, obviously, he, yeah, yeah, he had some he had some great uh, some great coverage uh, in the Seattle game on uh, the Seahawks tight ends. There there was I think there were at least two or three occasions where he just made great. Uh, he had jammed the receiver close to the to the boundary and made great plays on the ball. So I, I think he's he's definitely been more than better than you know the defense or anybody any coaches could have expected. 
couldn't agree more and uh and and very very nice to have him sorry about what it might mean for tony but you know that's the nfl as it goes he's uh uh, got a big contract number last year. Next year, Clark does not. Obviously, in the fourth year of his rookie deal, and yeah. he is one of the players now. The Ravens probably have to think about trying to extend if uh, if that makes sense. I mean, Clark coming into his fourth year, uh, this would be the time to do it if they wanted to try and do it early. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay, Owasso. We talked about him a little bit, and I don't want to beat on Patrick Owasso every week, but. Uh, he did look overmatched in this game. He got he got burned obviously on the outside by Mixon with a very kind of a simple juke that that beat him for a lot of yards. Uh, you know, I, I think the Ravens to to have a run presence, uh, he's just not the right guy to have out there on first down. We already know from a pass from a coverage standpoint, he might not be the right guy to have out of there on third down. But there still could be a role for him on second and long. Daniel Ellerby had that role for a long time in terms of a guy who could really get off to the quarterback and could do some things to, to try and contribute to the pass rush. So I think still think there's a there's a role for him. I just don't think there's there's a really huge, you know, half the snaps uh, kind of role for him to be found. Yeah, and uh, you know it's interesting that you bring him up because I actually wrote a I wrote a story on him um, leading up to the leading up to the uh, to the game and about how he's kind of been a av- the avatar for a shifting a shifting defense. He entered the season, um, you know, we kind of anointed him as the next you know great uh, middle linebacker. We gave him the the, the defense gave him the. Um, communication abilities and um you know it just it just didn't play out like that and there's no problem there's no issue with that it's because wink has done a great job of putting guys um in the best position for them to succeed as individuals and we saw owasso's capability his full potential in the patriots game where he had several tackles he had uh he had a key third down sack early in that game he stripped uh he forced that uh, fumble on Edelman that uh, Humphrey returned. So there, there is a role for him. You know, like we said, he's not the the greatest. You know, getting off blocks and you know defending the run. Um, I think he is a faster. He has he's a faster linebacker, a smaller linebacker, um, which you would think kind of lends him to being better in coverage. But you know, when you're facing some of those shifty running backs, running backs, it is it is harder. But um, I think going down going down the second half of the season we will see him kind of revert back to that part-time role where you know he's not playing he's not an every down linebacker he might be playing 40 percent of the snaps maybe less maybe more depending on the matchup but they will find a role for him yeah i really love that about wink anyway and it does it's not just owasso but it's any player when you can hand out the snaps with an eyedropper and everybody really really wants to play for a defense like this that's doing well and you, you get not only do you get their best matched up to their talent snaps because Wink's very good at that, but you also seem to get you get freshness, of course, because they're going to be in there less often. But you also kind of get this extra personal effort out of people playing for more snaps that they, yeah. you know, because they're in there 40 percent of the time. Like, oh, I want to be in there 50 percent of the time, damn it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, you know, Wasso obviously really worked hard to get this, this opportunity at Mike Linebacker. It didn't work out. The Ravens did the right thing. They unwound it, and and hopefully they can find a use for his talents. That's 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 you know significant down the stretch, and and uh, and you know do what they can with that. Yeah, I think I think we will see him. You know, like like we said, uh, it wasn't his best game on Sunday. I don't think 
honestly don't think he'll have too many more games like this. Um, just because, just knowing the the person he is, uh, you know, he worked really hard to get back. I, I, I talked to him one on one before the um, you know lead, the week leading up, and he worked really hard to get back. You know, I'm sure he'll he'll bounce back. You know, the week before he had a great game, so you know, yeah, he'll definitely bounce back in my in my opinion. Well, we're certainly rooting for him. That's for sure. All right. Uh, normally, we we now we talk about the MVPs of the game. Uh, we'll go three to one, kind of like hockey stars in reverse order. You want to play along? Yeah, let's do it. Sure. Okay. So you're number three. You go first. All right. So I guess uh, Humphreys first, correct? Uh, uh, I, oh, sorry. Make him three to one. You you call it out three two one how you would like it, and you could differ from mine. Oh, uh, okay. You, perfect. Perfect. Um, three. Let's see. Oh man, it's tough because you know it was, a, it was a it was honestly it was a it was a really good defensive game. I'd say three would probably go uh, Peters, even despite the 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 pick six. Um, you know he he did a great job in coverage. You know, just, like I said, knowing the defense. Um, you know, kind of kind of not necessarily baiting a rookie quarterback into the throw, but just knowing uh, route concepts and whatnot. Um, besides that, you know he uh, you know he's a real reluctant tackler. But mm-hmm. you, know, you see that, don't you? A lot. Yeah, you know he he's not he doesn't he he won't really go low. He might give you a little shove uh, out of bounds. But you know I think this team definitely brought him in for the playmaking ability that he brings to the secondary. Uh, two, uh, I th- I think I'll go with. Uh, well, hold on, hold on. I, I I'll go third, and then you oh, can get. Oh my bad. <laughs> no problem, no problem. So my number three guy is Marlon Humphrey. Uh, outstanding game against Boyd. Uh, four out of eight completions as, as I scored it for 31 yards. So that's exceptional. Uh, it's almost all Boyd. And like I said, two PDs would have had a third, two others where he's in the guy's hip pocket for incomplete. So uh, great game. Did some other things too. Had a, had a big pressure uh, as a pass rusher as well. Number two for you. Uh, number two. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, um, you know, Brandon Williams, like, he played a, you know, it's it's tough. You know, he played a um, his largest uh, workload of the season with uh, Michael Pierce out, um, and you know that that first half was tough. I think that they were they were definitely adjusting without Michael Pierce, and you know, in the second half, Brandon Williams did step up a lot. Um, I think that, like the coaches have said, this past this past two three week stretch has been, you know, it's. He's been great, you know, not only as a run stuffer, but an interior pass rusher, which we've, we've never really considered him to be. But, you know, he's bringing that element and, you know, they'll take it if they can get it. Yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's, it's nice to see that. And it's, it's rare to see that in a defensive lineman when you overwork him. And he was my number two as well. The only one thing I want to point out about this is this. I, I think if I were, if I wanted to bet on this right now, I'd lay pretty damn significant odds. And you may know already if it's happened because the fines may be out for this week. But I will bet you that Williams does not get fined for that quarterback hit. For the, those for don't the, usually for the come passer. out till later, and yeah, those don't usually come out till later in the week, probably around Saturday. But yeah, I mean, we'll see. Okay. Uh, he, he might he might tell us on Friday, so that's usually when they hear about it. Oh, that that'll be good to hear. Now, as I understand it, I'm not 100 percent sure of this, but. You and I go to court to fight a traffic ticket, and we have a $50 fine. We have to reach into our wallets and pay $50 of after-tax money. As I understand it, they get a deduction from their next game check that they have to agree to. 
of the amount in question. So this effectively becomes a business expense that's fully deductible for them. So I just want to point out that slight difference. So if you (laughs) did feel sorry for the $10,000 fine that a player is getting, just remember it's only $5,000 and you'd still be upset by that too, but you know, it's, it's, (laughs) that's tough change for them. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's, 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 it's only about half as bad for them as it, as it would be otherwise. Anyway, uh, Uh, I, I'm not 100% sure of that. And by the way, I'd like to know that, Daniel. I'm sure you can ask the right people and get back to us on that one. Yeah, most definitely. All right. So your number one guy? Yeah, uh, Marlon Humphrey. I just, I just, I can't, like I said, I, I've just been so impressed with him this entire season. Um, you know, kind of taking that next step um, as a lockdown corner. Um, besides the, the third down completion um, early in the first quarter uh, to Boyd when Humphrey was in coverage, you know, it was just another stellar game from him. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's very uh, seldom that you see, you know, wide receivers just com- completely get blanketed in, in, in an entire game. Um, so, you know, Tyler Boyd, I expected him to get, to get his, uh, you know, get his catches, get his receiving yards, but um, Humphrey just has a great, ability of playing to his strength with the which is his physicality and you know kind of roughing up uh kind mm-hmm. of making the game really you know dirty and you know just getting into into receivers and you know just knocking them around and he did he did a great job again yeah his his right arm we've, we've mentioned on this uh show a lot it's like a baseball bat we we've in terms of knocking that ball loose but I, there was one play along the right sideline it was one of his two passes defense mm-hmm. that i couldn't even tell which hand he knocked it out with because it looked like both of them were going for the ball and i think <laughs> yeah. left hand or right hand I, I really look for that i mean something with marcus peters impressed me last week was that he went and he's my number one guy by the Mar- marcus peters we've talked about him enough but last week and daniel I didn't have to talk chance to talk to you about this he had incredible pass defense where he reached behind his body first of all body control is amazing you do it with his left hand to knock the ball down. Now, I assume Peters is right-handed. I love, I love for you to find that one out for me, too. Because <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think it's in the media guide. But it's a dominant hand skill. You know, like if you block a, block a shot in basketball, you do it with your dominant hand. If you pick up a pen, you don't, write your, you don't write your signature with the wrong hand. You write it with your dominant hand. You pick up a beer. It's simply as simple as that. You don't do that with your offhand. You do it with your right hand if you're, if you're right-handed. It's, it's just very, very unusual to see that pass defense last week from Peters, but just another really crazy thing about how good the guy is yeah that's just amazing that just that just speaks to you know the athleticism and the dexterity to be able to you know use your offhand if that is his offhand to confidently like mm-hmm. knock a ball away or you know use your hand like that yeah all right well daniel how about we take a few mailbag questions yep let's do it all right ken and i tried to do a quick google search and you're right the media guide does not have what uh what his dominant hand is i guess they don't list yeah, that I've, I've for, for defensive players <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, all right, Very uh, cool. first question up. Uh, again, you can get your questions in on Twitter using the hashtag Film Study Mailbag. Uh, we're going to cover defensive questions. There's a lot of offensive questions that we'll get to on the offensive show. Uh, first one up, Ken, uh, last week the Ravens made a cut before this game, and they decided to choose to cut Kennedy over uh, Averett or over Cyrus Jones. Why mm-hmm. do you think they made that move? A couple people asked that question. I, I mean, I can only think of one reason. And Daniel, I'd love to hear what you think about this one because you're an insider on this. But I, I can only think that Kennedy is not really available now at this point, and they don't project him to be available for several weeks, or they project the injury to linger. He's he's a free agent at the end of the year either way. So it's a matter of how many of the next ten weeks say can the Ravens get out of him in terms of play. 
Yeah, uh, Kennedy was actually um, he was actually claimed by the New York Jets on waivers. So um, that that was actually a very interesting decision to me as well. Um, I thought that potentially Averett would be the one to go, but um, I, he is a younger player. Um, you know, they're they don't like to you know kind of get kind of distance himself from younger players. Mm-hmm. You know, at this point, um, I think that you know this was prior. This is prior to uh, Cyrus's muff punt, I believe. So, you know, they still viewed Cyrus as the as the primary punt returner. Um, Avert also uh, as a contributor on special teams. So, um, you know, we didn't really ask him, ask John about that, but I thought that that was the the rationale. Okay, so if Kennedy was claimed by the Jets, did he happen to be active in this first game? Do you know? I believe we'll he was. Wow. Believe he was, yeah. Okay, so yeah, that the, means the he's Jets actually ready to play. Yeah, the Jets have a lot of a lot of uh, cornerback injuries. So when I saw that they they uh, claimed him, I knew that he was he was going to get some significant playing time. Okay, all right, very interesting. So uh, anyway, that means they they're really judging it as eight games against Kennedy, uh, eight games of Kennedy as I would see it, versus or maybe nine games because it might have been before the New England game, versus two and a half years of Anthony Averett, which is which is what they have left, and they still have. That has a yeah. lot of option value. He's still he's still obviously could develop during that time to become a very good corner. So, yeah, uh, yeah, I understand. I guess why they made that decision between those two. I don't understand necessarily why Cyrus Jones wasn't the guy at this point because he's in a similar yeah. position. Yeah, and you know he very well could be a guy that they end up you know cutting in the coming weeks. You know when you uh, when you get deactivated mid season like that, you know it's it's usually not a good sign. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, Rosie Hunter is wondering, can the defense stop the run without Williams and Pierce, and how would Daylon Mack fit into that? Could, could that be a potential fix? Uh, Daylon Mack's going to get his opportunity now, I'm, I'm fairly sure, unless they make another signing. And that's a possibility. If they do, I, I would guess Mack would probably end up on IR because I don't think they'll carry the extra lineman on the roster. Could be Sealer also ends up on IR. But, yeah, I think I think Dylan Mack is the obvious choice because he's a more natural fit to what Pierce did as a nose tackle. And hopefully he's gotten a little stronger in the last week since he's played and is able to hold his ground more against double teams and and uh, and do a good job of gap control. Yeah, um, you know, it's possible. But, you know, as we saw in week four against the Browns when Brandon Williams didn't play because of any injury, uh, you know, it becomes a lot harder to stop the run. Um, an assistant coach kind of was saying that a lot of times that, and as, as, as I mentioned before, offensive line linemen usually they commit, they double Brandon Williams, and a lot of times when Williams and Pierce are in there at the same time, that means you have four guys essentially committed to, to two interior linemen. So um, it becomes a lot tougher, um, even this upcoming uh, this coming Sunday, the Texans are one of the uh, best run teams in terms of averages. I think they average about mm-hmm. 4.1 yards per run. So, um, no, it, it's going to be tough, and it'll be really interesting to see if um, Pierce practices at all this week. Yeah, I'll be I'll be interested too. And by the way, you were right earlier. I just want to make sure we get that on air, that Mac's been only active for one week that I can tell here. I thought okay. he was active for Pittsburgh, but he wasn't. Yeah. All right. Um Let's see. Marcus Peters has everyone excited, of course, after the, his great couple weeks as a Raven player. But he adds to the list of high-profile defensive free agents this offseason. Yes. Uh, does Marcus Peters jump to the top of that list, and how do you prioritize these guys? You, you go ahead first, Daniel. I'll, I'll go number two. So it's, I think we're basically talking about Pierce, Peters, and Judon. Yes. 
off the top of my head, those are like those are the main guys. Um, yeah, that that's a tough question. Um, because when when they acquired Peters, I think a lot of people just just kind of wrote it off as you know, uh, whatever, however many game rental they just you know, we just immediately assumed that um, he wouldn't be back and they just kind of take their comp pick and, you know, they just go on, go their separate mm-hmm. ways. But um, there is a lot of uncertainty with the cornerback position. I, I think Carr has an option. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, I, mean, I think I believe it's a team option. Jimmy Smith is also an unrestricted free agent. So, you know, you're not looking, you know, after that, you're just looking at Marlon Humphrey as, you know, the as a as a true true outside corner inside corner you know a true corner that you feel confident putting out there in the secondary um i think that everything kind of starts with the trenches and the team would say that as well you know they believe in running the ball and stopping the run so that would kind of put pierce at the top of the list um judon you know he he had a really strong start to the season but um as a pass rusher he's kind of you know fallen off a bit in terms of uh, actually producing sacks but um you know he's their their most proven outside linebacker edge uh pass rusher um so i would probably if i had to rank it from you know one to three for those guys that you mentioned i'd probably say pierce then judon then marcus peters um but you know it could go it could go any way where you know I'm not sure what the contract demands are, and that could play a role into you know who gets prioritized and once All right. uh, he starts. Here's here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you the three players and the price tag that I might think it would be the number that at which I'd be interested in re-signing them. So would you who would you rather have among Judon at 16 million average annual set value, mm-hmm. Peters at 15 million, Oof. or Pierce at 11 million? I'd probably take Pierce at 11, just knowing that you have Marlon coming up the following season. And, you know, if you give Peters 15 mil, that's, that's the, you know, that's baseline. the baseline. Yeah. yeah the baseline for, for Marlon. So, um, you know, it gets tough. Um, I, I think also, you know, this is kind of separate, but a lot of fans and people just kind of assume that, that Jimmy was out of the equation that he just it was a foregone inclusion that he wasn't coming back. And I never really understood that, you know, he's been a guy that's been injured a lot over the course of his career, but when he's played, he's been extremely solid. And I think he's played extremely well since he came back from his knee sprain. So, um, you know, I, I'd probably get Pierce in at that 11 mil number first before, you know, I pay 16 mil. That's, you know, I think that's the, for Judah, I think, I think that's the type of money that Zedary Smith got. That's right. Yeah. You know, he has, I don't think that his production has necessarily been, you know, comparable to to Zedaria Smith and uh, Green Bay this season. Okay, well, fair enough. So, so the uh, the next question, well, okay, let's not do that to you. We've, we've done enough of that. I want to hear the rest of the questions from the mailbag. But it's interesting. I I I think Pete the Peters is the interesting one because he's the player that I think the team could franchise most easily, and I don't really know what the franchise tag is at the other two positions. But at cornerback, I I think if they if they franchise him, they could force a long term deal with Peters, and yeah. Peters being 26 and Jimmy 31. In terms of relative numbers, I like Peters at a higher number than Smith, whether yeah. that's 15 to 10, 15 to nine, whatever it might be. I, I don't yeah. want to buy the decline years of Jimmy Smith's career if we can avoid it. 
Yeah, I understand that. Yeah, and that, that's definitely something that the team is thinking about. You know, have our Jimmy's best, you know, his best playing days, you know, are they already behind him. So it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. All right. Uh, Ravens, they have a bunch of depth in the secondary, and there was talk about Marshall coming up to the active roster. Do you think it possibly means he will play some safety to get him on the field and move Carr into the slot? I'll start. I, I don't think it's likely that Marshall ends up at safety. I think it's much more likely he plays at outside corner on a rotational basis. Maybe he takes some snaps away from maybe it. Maybe they do more rotation. Maybe they get ahead in some games and they let both those guys get in there. I mean, I don't think they really wanted to have either Humphrey or Peters in the game. And it really seemed to me like Peters didn't want to be in the game at the end. <laughs> yeah. um, and he would have much preferred to have uh, uh, you know, someone like Iman Marshall if he was ready to go. Yeah, that that we were we were in the press box wondering that too. Why Humphrey was still out there with minutes left in the game? Yeah, that that just kind of speaks to the to the state of you know their cornerback depth. They do have three, we have they have four you know corners that they feel confident throwing out at any point. But you know it kind of turns to three when you're uh, putting Carr at safety. Um, yeah, I don't I don't in terms of Marshall, I don't really see. I don't really see him having a major role on defense at this point. Um, Harbaugh said that he's a guy that they would really like to put at special teams. Uh, Chris Horton said the same thing as well. You know, there, there's been a lot of questions over who's going to be the gunner, you know, who's going to be on punt coverage, kickoff coverage with um, some of the injuries that they've had. Chris Moore uh, missed Sunday's game. So I think that his immediate role in speaking about Marshall would be special teams. Right. So they really went for a two for the price of one guy. Now, one guy, I'm not sure if he's exclusively a safety, but Jordan Richards, who's basically a special teams guy, is he a guy? I mean, he, he certainly has the body build of a safety at 5'11", 210. So I assume that's what his normal position is. And really, that's probably where the Ravens need another player as much as they need another corner. Yeah. Uh, but. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I think that they kind of view him in that Justin, Justin Bethel role where he, he's just exclusively a special teams guy. Um, you know, uh, I remember late in the Bengals game, Justin Bethel got on the field and I, I, I'm sure that the coaches, you know, they that mm -hmm. was kind of like their last resort. But with the state of the cornerbacks position at that point, they had to throw him out there. But, uh, you know, I, at this point, Justin Bethel is more of a he's more of an exclusive special teams guy. He's, he's, he's essentially the special teams ace. Yeah, Bethel, Bethel uh, 12 snaps so far this year. Obviously, he's not going to get any more with the Ravens unless they reacquire him, but uh, yeah. which, they, which they won't because they'll lose the draft pick again if they do. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, no way to circumvent the rules. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, Jimmy is wondering about the five-tech position, and is that starting to become extinct in the Ravens' defense because the base 3-4 is hardly being played in the three-wide NFL? Yeah, it's a great question. And I, I, I do appreciate that. It's almost the kind of thing that should be on a film study short. Um, what I'll say about this is that, that you, you really only need a true five tech when you're in, when you have three down linemen on the field. That's not that often anymore. Uh, the Ravens did it a little bit this last week because they, because they were playing some three, three, five nickel where they could have used a five tech on the field. In fact, they did have sealer on the field for a fair amount of that. Uh, but yeah, he's right. It's it, Jimmy's right. It's played a lot less now than, than it has been in past years. Yeah, um, uh, like I was saying earlier in the season, when, when they started the season, uh, they got questions over, you know, their lack of D-line, the lack of D-line that they kept on the initial 53-man roster. And, you know, Harbaugh said, you know, 
most NFL defenses are playing are playing aren't playing in their base uh, their base package. But um, something that came to mind in the middle of the Bengals game was just the the I can't recall the last time the Ravens had uh, you know that type of defensive end that could also double as a as a pass rusher. And um, you know they they don't really have that on the roster right now. So it'd be interesting. You know, over the course of the you know the off season, whether they get a guy like that, he can not only you know stop the run, but uh, rest the passer. All right. Yeah. They, yeah, got sir, yeah. Did you have more to add on? No, that's fine. All right. Simple question to close out the mailbag. Uh, you guys talked at near the top of the show about the Ravens' struggle, especially to stop the run with the Bengals. Uh, with the Bengals being such a bad team, how concerning is that when we now get into a stretch of some better teams? Very. That's my one-word answer to that. Okay. All right, that's simple. Well, that's the <laughs> – we'll yeah, just yeah, end yeah. there. Hey, Daniel, you have anything to say about that? Yeah, if if Pierce is out for any extended period of time, it's it's going to be tough because, you know, Brandon Williams, they, they would rather him not play, you know – close to 80% of their defensive snaps and that's just going to push younger guys into those roles that they might not be ready for. So that's that's the that's the 300 and some odd question this week, you know, what's going on with Michael Pearson? Is he healthy enough to play? So hopefully Mac can step in and if he's if he's missing for one or two weeks can do a credible job in in his absence. That's that's all I'd hope for. Yeah. All right, so that now is the film study mailbag. Remember to get in your questions for the offense podcast coming out later this week using the hashtag film study mailbag over on Twitter. Uh, Daniel, thanks for joining us. What can we plug, share your Twitter handle, how people can read you right in and all that? Yeah, well, of course, um, first off, you know, go to BaltimoreSun.com, uh, subscribe to the Baltimore Sun, and, um, you know, we have a bunch of great writers that are doing a bunch of great work, and it's it's a really exciting season, so you know, you know, we're just kind of going along for the ride. And then, um, you know, my uh, Twitter handle is my first and last name Daniel D A N I E L uh, last name O Y E F U S I. All right, and again, that'll be tagged in any film study posts sharing this episode as well, so you can just quickly click over and give Daniel a follow. Ken, over on filmstudybaltimore.com, this is already broken down in article form. Yes, so defensive post is out there. Maureen and I just reviewed, reviewed the offensive line tonight, so we'll have an interesting article on that tomorrow. At least I think it'll be interesting. Uh, great game of offense, so we should have a lot of fun. Uh, a lot of fun tomorrow night, I think, on the show. Yeah. All right, and then uh, if you go back an episode, we snuck a short in there at the end of last week. So I don't think you had a chance to really plug and promote that because it was kind of the last minute thing we put out there. No, uh, worth going. Take a look at the film study shorts that are out there, please. We had one on Marcus Peters. We, you know, talked about playing teams twice in a season and how that might change game plans. And that was what the last one was about. We, we, we've had a variety of topics. Eleven versus twenty-two personnel run was a very good one by an epidemiology PhD. If you have a good question in the mailbag, I'm going to catch it and I'm going to try and contact you. We just had another one come up today. Um, that, that was, we want it's, it's a big enough question. That we don't want to short shrift it in the mailbag and give it 30 seconds. We want to give it 15 minutes of airtime. Uh, just have a conversation with me about it on, uh, on Skype and we'll, uh, form that into an episode and post it out on the website. So we'd love to have you. All right. And you had, when you think about teams coming up a second time, the Bengals were not the team to look at to make how they would adjust on the Ravens. 
No, not too bad. Still got to watch for that. So, all right, guys, we'll have a great evening. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification, and they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.